It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with my good friend, Brian Fromm. You can find us all sorts of places. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, plus wherever you get podcasts. Also, I don't think I've ever said this, and shame on us. For those of you who have subscribed to the podcast, thank mm-hmm. you. That actually really oh, does help us out. Like that when you subscribe and review and share it with somebody, all of that really does help us out. We find that, uh, in fact, I don't know if this happens to you on Sundays. I had two people yesterday say, I just want to let you know what a breath of fresh air I find your show to be. Is that right? And I'm a faithful listener and blah, blah, blah. I had never met them before. It was That's like really, awesome. so that was encouraging. Like, okay, what we're saying or offering or, you know, unpacking is actually somewhat helpful to people. Yeah, so. that's awesome. And we do know there's lots of people podcasting. I still don't understand how people do it at like two times the speed. I was listening to a different podcast coming up here today uh, in my car. Yeah. And I accidentally hit it forward. <laughs> it was too, crazy. Too much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was crazy. But we do really appreciate when we get to hear from people that you're listening. Uh, you know, feedback is fun because, as we said, like we sit here in kind of like a radio, like a small room. Yeah. Right. And we just kind of look at each other and talk. And then we go. Well, I think that was okay. <laughs> that wasn't terrible. Also, a fun game that my wife and I have been playing is uh, listening to it half the speed. <laughs> if you're listening on podcast right now, go ahead and switch to half the speed. Brian and I sound wasted. Oh, that's it's awesome. Hilarious. And all of like, at least my, yours are actually, they, yours translate much better. My inflections are like really. It's great. Like It goes like this. I was reading this article the other day. It just sounds like a drunk valley girl, which is not that's awesome. Not I'm a good sound for me. <laughs> it's it's good for a laugh. All right, so um, a topic I've been wa- I've been wanting to tackle for a while, yep. and honestly, just had a hard time getting my heart and my head around. To be honest, it's part of why we haven't tackled it yet, and I don't think this will be the last time that we tackle it. But I wanted to at least take an attempt, and I do stress the word attempt because <laughs> I, I recognize not only is it very complex, but it is also something that I, I feel emotionally uh, tied yeah. to at some degree. And it's um, somewhat, you know, it's an, an emotionally charged issue on both sides. People are using it as a very political issue to kind of grandstand with. Totally. So the topic that we're talking about is uh, children at the border. And if you are not sure what we're talking about, just Google children at the border and you'll get i'm sure just an onslaught of different articles and i want to start with a positive story first as a way to kind of segue to maybe some of the more difficult reality of the of the story so so the headline here from church leaders is uh churches take action to help children at the border as leaders debate um which for me I, already i want to like get up and cheer mm-hmm. you know we've seen this divide just grow wider and wider and the yelling is getting more and more intense and this church said you know what we're going to do something about it. It said, in response, the U.S. government moved more than 300 children from a border patrol station near Clint, uh, Texas, acknowledging our short-term holding facilities were not designed to hold vulnerable populations, and we urgently need additional humanitarian funding to manage the crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was the photo of the migrant father and his toddler daughter lying dead along the Rio, Gran- uh, Rio Grande River. Um, and then there was all sorts. Of, I mean, I, you saw the photo, I I'm did. assuming. It's yep. heart-wrenching, mm-hmm. heart, like just a, just a pit in my stomach the first time I saw that. 
and says, for churches along the border, the crisis uh, isn't new. Carlos Navarro, senior pastor of West Brownsville Baptist Church in Texas, has ministered to migrants for 25 years. Uh, when other emergency shelters filled up this spring, Navarro and his congregation uh, converted half of their building into a respite center. Migrant families wow. who have been released by federal authorities receive physical and spiritual care at the church. In two months, they've served more than 1,600 people, Navarro tells the Baptist Press. They are sending us the most vulnerable, moms and dads with children, and single moms with children. So without city funding, West Brownsville Baptist uh, relies on grants and donations. Their needs range from Spanish Bibles and flip-flops to underwear and disinfectant. We go through a bottle and a half of Lysol a day just to keep things sanitary. And the story goes on to talk about not only the work that they're doing, but some of the response from uh, other Christian leaders who have gone to see kind of firsthand what's really going on there. And the story, you know, is... I'm proud of this one church saying, all right, yeah. while you guys are arguing, we're going to do something about it. But I, I still can't get around like the pit of my stomach that this is happening in the first place. And I would love to know your thoughts. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I got lots of thoughts on it because like you said, it is, especially for those that don't live down there, it's turned into a very political issue. And, uh, and so therefore it's like, everyone needs to pick a side and I want to be like, you know what? Uh, I, I've said this before multiple times. I don't understand. I don't know the best thing for immigration, but I do know that there are kids just suffering right now. Yeah. And that's got to break our heart on both, regardless of what you actually believe about immigration or what the right answer is. Uh, you gave me another article out of Brookings uh, edu that says neglect of children at the border has long term consequences. And I read it and it just goes through. It's a very almost scientific article saying, here's what's going on at the border and here's the consequences it has on kids. And you're just like, this is tragic. Yeah. Like this is this is heartbreaking. Uh, and a lot of people were passing around on Facebook and saw Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family or used to be at Focus on the Family. He went to the border uh, last week and he wrote up his stuff and he said this in his newsletter. Uh, he said it's the most heart wrenching experience he's ever had. Uh, he said detainees stared out at us with plaintive eyes. Uh, they weren't interacting with one another and the children looked traumatized and frightened. There are few provisions and meager supplies, which are stretched to the limit. And uh, he called it a human tragedy. And, and Dobson comes to the uh, conclusion that this is why we need a border wall. And and that can obviously be argued with what's the best solution. But I do think as Christ followers, we need to say, there's got to be a solution like the church has to step in here, whether it be uh, through prayer, through provision, through helping, through supporting churches down there that are doing that are on the ground. Like these are the least of these that Jesus speaks of. And so regardless of what you believe about immigration, like what we're reading out of these centers shouldn't be a point for you to be arguing on Facebook about what happened in the Obama administration versus right. the trip. No, you need to get on your knees and pray for this and, and try to figure out, are there things we can do to help these kids uh, who are suffering? So I, I want to know what you think about some of the call to Franklin Graham and Samaritan's purse to use that infrastructure mm-hmm. to send supplies specifically to children in these like pretty horrific conditions. Is it, is it political grandstanding? Is it social media theater? Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea? Um, have we seen any action? Do you have any hope that that kind of charge will be received? Well, like yeah. is, is that uh, a helpful way forward? It seems completely logical and helpful. Like if Samaritan's purse or other organizations are set up to help uh, people in in need around the world. Well, these are clearly kids who need 
And I would hope that our government would welcome organizations like that. Uh, but again, it's like people who are lobbying this at Franklin Graham. It seems like they're doing it uh, to kind of throw a grenade. And frankly, like, I, I don't understand. You know, I, I could be naive. Somebody told me the other day that I tend to be naive and my naiveness hmm. wants to be. I don't care what side of the aisle or the immigration debate you're on. Let's all gather together. Let's rally together and try to make sure that these kids caught in the middle yeah. are cared for in the best way. If that's through Samaritan's Purse, if that's through churches, if that's how the is that even debatable? I don't. I, <laughs> that's the frustrating part for Same. me. Like I said, I don't get the immigration debate well. If if you if we brought somebody in there, like, what do you think about immigration would be the best? I'm like, I don't know. You're right. But what but I the can mistreatment tell you, of children, though, right? Exactly. Like that's got to break our heart as the church, uh, big C church, and then say. All right, let's find churches that are helping. Let's find others and let's let's do something about this. Yeah, Rick Warren famously said, "A good Samaritan doesn't stop and ask the injured person, are you legal or illegal?'" <laughs> Which again, I'm I know someone will make the case yes. of the overarching uh, legalities and um, permissions, and I I understand all of that. Totally, but something now like six kids have died in our custody. That's not. It's just not okay. And for us to simply say. Uh, well, you know, the, the law is complicated and there's a lot going on. Like, yep. I, I don't, uh, it's okay to acknowledge that and still say, um, kids dying in our custody is, is not okay. And there needs to be a solution. And I hope that we see more churches not only rise up and actually go to the border, but I hope I see more prominent leaders saying, Hey, there, there's gotta be a better way forward than this, yeah. you know? And like Dobson's letter goes on to say some other things that are, are actually a little problematic for me, a little troubling. And I think how, how we are. juxtapose actually going and being present with like what we're actually seeing happen here, uh, man, to come back to the question of what would Jesus do yes. uh, in this circumstance, I think is, this is where it gets messy. Yes, where it's, totally. It transcends politics. And I think the church needs to really wrestle with that. hundred percent. Well, many of you know that Monday is our uh, day for Media Mondays, but Dallas Jenkins is in Texas filming a few more episodes of The Chosen. So we have two very special guests in the studio that are going to take over Media Mondays for us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, we're told, I haven't actually seen proof of this, the show is podcasted. Wherever it is you get your podcasts, you thank you. you. Listen to the podcast. I do listen. I'm just trying to be coy, as they say. No one says that. <laughs> Anywho, if you've been with us for any length of time, uh, you know that we have a segment, a recurring segment on Mondays called Media Mondays with Dallas Jenkins. But Dallas is in Texas filming episodes five through eight of The Chosen. So I thought it'd be fun just to bring in some other media minded friends. They're actually more than just media minded. I think you guys in some ways are sort of media geniuses. If I can set you up impossibly. Uh, But my good friends. have been referred to as that. (laughs) (laughs) It's what your business card said. So I assume genius was going to be just fine. So uh, these are two good buddies of mine, Gavin and Lane Bucklin, and uh, I'm going to let them actually introduce each other. They're husband and wife, and they have, I think, collectively uh, just incredible hearts, incredible vision for creativity and collaboration in media. So first off, Gavin and Lane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That felt really organic, really good. (laughs) All right, so why don't you guys introduce each other for people listening that have no idea who you are? Great. So my wife, Lane Buckland, is um, a graphic designer and amazing wife and dog lover. <laughs> Outstanding. Dog mother, might I even add. You, you may add. Great. Thank you for that permission. Have it. Um, what kind of dog? 
We have a just a mutt that we rescued. She's um, yeah, she's a pit and lab. Maybe some Rhodesian Ridgeback in there for all you uh, dog lovers. Those are the lion killers. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> they are terrifying dogs. We're working on that terrifying part with her. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of lions in Elgin. <laughs> Big lion population. All right, sorry. Your turn. <laughs> this is Gavin Buckland, director at Ox Creative. Yep. <laughs> Also love dogs. Also, also do- dog, dog father. Is that a dog father? Yes. Also a great restaurant in Bartlett, Illinois. If you're interested in hot dogs and Italian beef, dog father. That's true, but it's I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so here's the thing, you guys. Uh, so so Gavin, you you work uh, primarily in video, but Lane, you have a uh, a graphic. <laughs> Crap, I'm just gonna, a graphic mind. No, you have a graphic arts degree from Judson University. Yes, I do. And uh, where are you working right now? At Muse Innovation in Elgin. Doing graphic design and some video stuff on the side and, yeah, lots of different stuff. So, like, in, between the two of you, you have all sorts of, uh, I imagine, just, like, creativity and media swirling all the time. And <laughs> you, you guys just seem to sort of breathe creativity in what I can tell of your relationship. You guys kind of feed off each other in that regard. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's definitely a partnership in this. Really? So, I mean, I'm more of the dreamer and more of kind of the guy that's, like, uh, wanting to start things and accomplish, like, these huge things. And then Lane's the one that really actually gets it done. So <laughs> Good man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here's a question that I want to ask you to kind of get this rolling with regards to media as a whole, because we have people that listen that are, I imagine, like you in this profession, but other people that maybe even they don't even see themselves necessarily as creative. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the role of creativity and the importance in particular of like passion projects and collaboration, like the stuff that I know that you guys care about? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we, we just really try to live by the mindset that like you, you can't really accomplish, um, or you can accomplish like some good things on your own, but like it really takes a next step and like, you know, next level of greatness when you start to bring other people in on it. So, um, there's definitely like a place for you to express your best creativity in your work that, uh, like your actual day job that you're doing. And Lane and I are lucky enough that we get to actually do that. We're paid to be able to kind of be creative and have fun with it. Um, but there's also the importance of being able to escape from that world a little bit mm. and um, encourage, we encourage like each other to uh, just want to continue to pursue projects outside of that really speak to our heart, maybe in a different way that maybe a, a project for a specific client might. Mm. Yeah, right. And there's also like a little bit different environment in that too, and that you're not ha- necessarily having to deal with the pressure of a deadline from a client. Mm. Um, and it kind of opens up some different like uh, mind space, remove some barriers that might be in place of having to necessarily please um, a list of criteria of what you need to hit. Right. And you actually get to kind of dream a little yeah. bit bigger. What are some of those, pa- what are uh, the most things that you guys are passionate about? What are the ones when they come across your way, you're like, yes, I want to do that. Yeah. So um, I think, I mean, first and foremost, it needs to be like a great story. So if it's like a story that you're dreaming about personally, or even like a story um, that, that you've heard and want to tell, um, th- especially as we work in like film and video, mm-hmm. um, just being able to like, yeah, tell a story that you really feel connected with. But then also like um, where we where I work at Ox Creative, we really try to partner with organizations that are doing good. So they are making an impact. And that's yeah. like a huge part and a huge um, part of our heart for for the things that we work on. So, um, awesome. yeah, we're wanting to make like, it, again, going with that collaboration, like it's outside of ourselves. It's not just living between Lane and I um, or even just us individually on the stuff we're working on. But it's reaching others and that's it's getting awesome. to, yeah, to bring others in on it. Right, so, Lane, is there any creative projects that, like, recently you've worked on that you're excited to talk about? Well, recently we are um, working on a project with our student loan debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, well, so we just pick up what she was saying. Like, we, um, 
we recently uh, just go into like personalville on Gavin and Buckland uh, Lane's life or yeah. Gavin and Lane's Buckland. <laughs> God, our personal life. Getting tripped up. Um, I'll start us off and then you can uh, pick up. You're doing great. You're doing great. Um, so, yeah, we've actually been like tackling our student debt. So, I mean, I know tons of people out there have student debt, and he's even right. even interesting. Like we heard um, that that man paid off all that student uh, debt yeah, for yeah. during his commencement speech that he was giving. Right. Um, so, like many others, uh, we walked out of school with quite a bit of college debt. So, we've been obviously with the, like like I was saying, like I have big dreams. And Lane's the the actual executor. She's been helping us just really stay in in track with like paying off our debt. So we recently just paid off a huge chunk of that. Nice. Not even a week later, we get reached out to from our uh, student loan provider to enter a film competition uh, that's telling how we pay that off. Nice. And so we were kind of oh, like, wow. well, we've just paid this off and that's literally what we do. So we've got to take a shot at this, like to make a video and just see what happens. Now you win if you if you get chosen to win um, this competition you win fifty thousand dollars so we were like <laughs> Holy we got to yeah, do this we're so, in. We're in. <laughs> yeah. so um, we recently we had uh, two weeks to to write and um, cast and shoot and edit and completely oh, I like, didn't know that deliver this whole thing That's and crazy. yeah and so that was like a really big undertaking for us and really interesting because we haven't really dove into make even making like personal projects um together about our own life it's usually about um and for different people and for different things so us being needing to be in front of the camera was really interesting for that yeah what's the video about like what's yeah, yeah what's... So, so it needed to tell the story of how we paid off the student debt so some of the sacrifices we made mm. um and and the ways that uh, we're planning to kind of like live life after having this debt gone nice have you so you haven't created stuff together before in this capacity, right? So you, like you were saying, you're used to like, okay, a client comes in, like here's the vision, you're like, cool, we can make that happen. What was the main difference in like having to like be on camera and like having to create something from the ground up, and where can people go to see it? Yeah, so the a huge difference for this was uh, normally us being behind the camera or behind making the stuff because right. we have a lot of say and control into it. Um, and this time we really needed to bring in a, in a lot of friends to help do right. this and, uh, as we were going to be kind of like hand, more hands off with it being mm. featured inside of it. Mm. So that was a huge part for us is just having friends step up and really like uh, join in a cool and fun way, um, being able to help direct and, you know, and art totally. direct and do different things, um, for the project. And, um, so if you, yeah, if you guys want to go out and check the video out, um, there's, we made the top 10, um, nice applicants out of over a couple hundred, I think there were, and that's at sofi.com slash debt life. And you can watch all 10 videos and then the winner is chosen whoever has the most votes. Wow. So we have about a week left of voting. Um, so go ahead and watch all the videos and you can choose, yeah, whichever one you like best, whichever yeah. your favorite, like vote for it. And what's really strange about this competition <laughs> is you can vote every hour. It's normally just like oh. a one vote, um, a day type of a thing usually but no they want us just staring at our screens all day that's constantly so <laughs> they want us hooked entirely yeah, exactly. right, what was the website one more time so that's sofi.com slash debt life and yours is you i think in a cowboy hat in a bathtub right is that uh that's the only place you'll find me <laughs> voting for it now <laughs> ryan is on the website well we're gonna keep gavin in line for another segment that's all right for media mondays we're gonna talk a little bit about uh pop culture we're gonna touch on some stranger things season three coming down the pipe and how we interact as a culture with these sort of like pop culture moments and what it kind of means for the rest of us that's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Okay, this is easily the coolest I've ever felt. 
my entire life right now. Easily. Can we just... How would you know? Easily. <laughs> 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 Let's just let that, let that ride out for a little longer. Yeah, just... Yeah, everyone in, everyone in the studio is dancing now. You can feel that. All right, so those of you who don't know, <laughs> that is the theme music. Can I call it theme music? Yeah, absolutely. Theme music for Stranger Things, and there's a reason that we're playing that, but I'm going to get to this first. So, uh, this is The Common Good. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. It's also a segment called Media Mondays. Dallas Jenkins is gone. He's in Texas filming a couple of new episodes of The Chosen, but we have in the studio Gavin and Lane Buckland, who are both uh, director, videographer, and also a graphic designer. Their house is the most adorable house I've ever been to in my entire <laughs> Entire life, it is. You guys just, I think, ooze creativity in general. You have a, a passion project that you just released, and you can find that on sofi.com slash debtlife. Uh, the frame is Gavin in a cowboy hat in a uh, bubble bath, I believe, right? Is you're, that, you're not wrong. Is it weird that I remember that many details of the thumbnail? Nope. That's, <laughs> That's the point of the thumbnail. So, printed in your brain. Touche. Uh, success. Well done. <laughs> How so did you choose I thought that you thumbnail? Were, I thought you made that up in the last segment. I did not no, know that. that is so, a true so you've not story. done your homework, is what you're saying. No, yeah. that was really funny. I was like, oh, that's a random comment about a. How did you? How did you choose that thumbnail in the first place? Were you going through the frames and you're like, this is the one. This is the. That's how the video opens up. So, oh, is that why? Yep, first frame. First just gotta really, frame. Just gotta really amaze them. Amaze them. Is it weird you saying that about yourself? The frame is you. Not one bit. <laughs> You're perfectly comfortable in this position. All right, so last segment, you guys were talking about uh, not only creativity, but the importance of like collaboration and passion projects. And this is you know, a different universe than Brian and I because we're both pastors. I imagine uh, you've been able to work with some really great clients, but I also imagine you've had like project, projects come across your desk where you're like, I don't really care about this, but it's right. my job and I have to, I have to do it. And uh, I think that's such an important thing for everyone to remember. But I also wanted to – because you guys are both kind of media buffs too – uh, not the least of which, um, Stranger Things season three is coming out. Two days, people. Is that right? Yep. Okay, so I want to know first, how do you feel about it? And secondly, uh, why are media moments like this still so important? Why are pop culture moments, why do they still matter like for us as a people? Yeah, well, first off, we're extremely excited about it. I believe we're having a viewing party at our house. Right? You're all invited. Everyone listening, party come, the Bucklands. come check out our house. Come sit in our bathtub it's if you ador- want. <laughs> um, it's adorable. All you guys know, I could be sitting in the bathtub right now talking That's to true. you guys. That's true. They have no idea. Cowboy this hat on. segment will never hear the sound of morning. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really excited about. It. I think it's been like close to two years, maybe a year and a half since the last season came out. Really? Um, so it came out last October. Okay. Right. So people, the fans have really been waiting a long time. There's right. been kind of like, hey, this isn't coming out every year. It's this delayed thing. So I think it's building up to it. And the kids are getting quite a bit older. It seems in the cast right. as well. So we're kind right. of seeing them grow up, seeing uh, this take place. I always wondered, like, uh, hearing my parents like watch like talk about the different movies they've seen um, yep. as they grew up and they kind of watch these child stars grow up and they're like, Oh, I remember when he was in this and he was like five. And like, I feel like this is totally this of our generation. Like we're going to see Millie Bobby Brown 30 years as a huge star, maybe in some movie and I'll be that old guy. Like I remember when she was in Stranger Things. <laughs> is that the old guy voice you're going to have? Or yeah, totally. That's how I talk now. <laughs> Wife approved. <laughs> oh, that's right. What do you think it is that causes what is it that, that goes into it that makes these things a cultural moment? What are the things that kind of go viral and, and everyone starts talking about? Yeah, I think it, like, it's really, for Stranger Things, it's tapping into something, um, I think, pretty unique 
it's like a more of a nostalgia um, mm-hmm. that I think is is just deep in the wells of uh, almost every human being of like an era that they either experienced and was great or they didn't experience quite yet. And it was, um, and it was something that they wished to experience. And I think as you just look back on a lot of media that's been created recently, you even kind of see um, this desire to kind of return to like a, a past and a thing mm-hmm. um, like that where we're living right now is wrong. And we mm-hmm. clearly need to go back to a time that was a little bit more carefree, a little more simple, so you see that kind of bring out in uh, being brought out in Stranger Things. Is that why you think we we're seeing so many remakes right now? I feel like the last three or four years, so so many of the movies that have been the big blockbusters. Yeah. Things, I was like, oh, I remember watching the original of that when I was a kid. If you, I, I saw a photo recently, and the lineup was like five of the six movies that were being featured were actually remakes from my childhood, and I had never seen them all in one place like that. Yeah. It was something that I kind of felt a sense of. But like, is there something to that? Like people long for. Do we always long for nostalgia? Is that always a, like a part of our like general makeup? And is that how you part of how you approach creativity? Yeah, I feel like that is a huge part. At least for me, I know I'm really always coming out of a place of like uh, reveling in memories, right? And mm-hmm. then trying to um, get back to like that time, or maybe create something new in that uh, out of that like mm-hmm. memorial place. Um, but yeah, we, I remember going to a conference um, a few years back, and there was a story artist that helped mm-hmm. craft the first Toy Story. And he, I connected with him after, and we were asking him about like what some new projects were coming up. And he actually shared with us like privately that he was had just left Disney. He couldn't tell us why yet, and um, essentially wow. said that the um, there was just a slew of just kind of remakes and reboots coming up. And he was really excited to start to work on something more. So he mm. kind of transitioned out of that to work on these small little side projects, which he went on to tell about, which were a lot more boring to me. I was like, no, give me the Pixar <laughs> <Yeah>. Disney stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was just like really interesting. And now we even, I mean, this summer has been huge right. in terms of like media. You have a lot of the big ones, like a lot of the Avengers movies and everything, but you, uh-huh. then you do have your Toy Story 4, right? Oh, right. So everyone kind of thought like, that was going to be done right. a few years ago with the third one. And then I know there's been kind of a little bit of an uproar on this fourth one. Like, do we need this yet? Still take my money. So. <laughs> right. That's a really important tension though. Do we need this? But I'm definitely going to go see it though. Like it's yeah. still like tugs my heartstrings. I'm still going to pay to see it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it, when I saw Toy Story 4, I was like, we're, we're on the fourth one now. You <laughs> Four already? No, I haven't seen oh. it, but when I just saw that it was out, I was like, okay. Um, what is your dream project? I'm very intrigued. You guys are like, oh, we do projects, passion projects. Like, what is the thing you're most passionate about? Or are you waiting for that to come along still? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, right now, since we're entering, or since we're like, exist a little bit more in the um, like nonprofit space or creating films that um, are more for churches and making an impact in different ways like that, I think it would be cool to start to dabble a little bit more in the narrative space mm-hmm. of um, feature films, short films. And start to really um, tell a story just for story's sake, as opposed to getting you to give your money right. to it. I think it's great. There's a lot of good causes out there and a lot of opportunities to give your money to some really cool things. I love being able to create media around that, but I think mm-hmm. there's another uh, space for storytelling as well to mm-hmm. exist, kind of like in this Stranger Things um, era. That's awesome. All right, so I'm going to end with kind of two questions, if that's all right. One, speak to someone who's listening that's like, man, th- this has been like water to my soul. I know that I have this creative drive, but I haven't been able to actually put one foot in front of the next to actually engage in any kind of passion project? Like what word of encouragement would you give to them? And two, if, if someone wanted to, I don't know, like get a hold of you guys or ask questions or see some of your work, where, where would they go to do that? Yeah. So I would say as I choke and almost die, <laughs> the table, we've all been there. We've all been there. My wife's here. She can give me mouth to mouth. Um, that's what we call it at least. Sure. Well, that's, that's Baptist mouth to mouth. Sure. Yeah, there we go. 
Um, so I'd say first off, the biggest thing for me that helps me get going on something and really the, the next step um, is just finding, connecting with someone that can help make that possible. Mm. Luckily, that's my wife. So mm-hmm. I'll just be doing a lot of brain dumps with her and then she'll uh, ask the right questions that need to to get things going and to get mm. moving. So I would say whether it's a friend or just a, like a coworker or someone in your space that you feel like could really provide a, a clear voice to this. Um, and that'll really help you jumpstart. And then the other thing is, I would say to reach out to us. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how specific you want my social security number. Yeah, no, I mean, you can find us on Instagram and uh, mm-hmm. Facebook. I'm Gavin underscore Buckland. And then she's just Lane Buckland um, on Instagram. But uh, we're happy to, yeah, to be able to connect. And um, really just as we continue to make more projects, I'm excited about bringing more people on and that are interested in this type of thing. And if you're even remotely interested, I highly encourage you to reach out. I think the two of you are some of the most gifted, uh, creative people that I know. And not just in terms of like your skill set, but I think everything that you just said about like some of the deeper meaning, the deeper purpose behind creativity. I think you have a real heart for like bringing people in, drawing people in. I think culture could learn from that, but I also think the church could learn a lot from that. And just personally, I'm really grateful for the two of you and the way that you see the world and the way that you make the people around you better. So thank you. Thanks, really appreciate thanks that. For yeah, yeah, thanks for coming that. in. We're coming up next, uh, the Walkman just turned 40. So we're going to talk a little bit about how listening to music has changed over the decades. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You really feel the music with the Sony Walkman. The Sony Walkman is a tiny stereo cassette player with truly incredible sound. Put on a Walkman and see the world in a whole new light. The Walkman from Sony, the one and only. (laughs) That's well done. That made me happier than I probably should have. Some of you, especially if you're just joining us, you're wondering, what is happening to Brian Ian? What is what is going on in that studio? That's just a general statement. (laughs) That's true. That's probably at least a weekly question. The reason, (laughs) though, for that commercial slash music is that the Walkman just turned 40. Did you know that, Brian, from? I did not. And that makes me feel really old. (laughs) That is like. Did you have a Walkman? Oh, yes. I had the Walkman. I had another Walkman. I had the Discman. Look at you. Remember the Discman? You like try to go running with it and it was like. (laughs) Here, run with this manhole cover. (laughs) Here, hold this extra large pancake while you're going. Uh, Remember remember, uh, Shuffle? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. Which one of these 10 songs is going to play on my my CD? Walkman. But I can remember having the Walkman, right? Like, uh, so you could put the, if those of you youngins out there, right, you could put a tape in it. Uh, if you don't know what a tape is, go to your Google machine and tape it, put it in. <laughs> go to your Google machine. <laughs> but, but the best was they were always AM, FM, right? And uh-huh. so you would take your dial and you would start moving it and you had to like hit it perfectly. Like, oh no, there it was. Go yes. Back. Go yes. Back. <laughs> oh, it's still crackling. Get there. Just, oh, I nailed it. And then wait. People will obviously, I'll uh, like, uh, you can't see this over the radio, but then also, like if you were in the wrong spot, you like hold it really high uh-huh. in the air to try yes. to get it. Oh, I love the Walkman, man. Can, can you describe for me in 15 seconds aesthetically what your Walkman looked like? Do you remember? I do. <laughs> it was yellow. I had a yellow Walkman. Of course you did. It was awesome. And right at the top was how you would change the, the radio and then you could put a tape in. Oh, the Walkman. And nice to know that it's just a little bit younger than me. Like yeah. it turned 40. I'm 42. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're uh, we're uh, we're pretty much on board together. So the Walkman is forty years old, and I this is just sort of a lighthearted segment, but I actually think that there's some deeper meaning. Uh, not only like understanding how technology has evolved, but the way that we consume media, the way that we engage uh, with music. Yep. You know, we you you often say that I'm like the music guy, but I know that you also really like music, sure. and music has shaped our country. It all it also has shaped our churches. Yep. I just think there's a lot of meaning. So I, I want to walk kind of briefly through this article because I think it it's a pretty fascinating sort of jaunt through the history of how we've listened to music. And uh, so I'll read some snippets so you can interact and weigh in and yep. interrupt all you want. So the phonograph was invented by Thomas Edison in 1877. Many people don't know that he invented the phonograph, uh-uh. by the way. An article in the New York Times from the same year said the invention of the phonograph will, quote, uh, lead to important changes in our social customs. <laughs> but in 1877, the phonograph was nowhere near perfect. It was something Edison would continue to perfect over the next 50 years. Did you know that? I did not. I also did not know no. that he tweaked it. For five decades, it worked by producing sound into a horn while the tinfoil covered cylinder was rotating using a handle or a gear. So crazy. The vibration shook a needle and recorded the audio on the foil. This was the beginning for recorded music or recorded anything, the New York Times wrote. However, the phonograph uh, only allowed the listener to play a recording once and, as you can imagine, didn't produce the best quality. Mm. So you'd record it. You could listen back to it one time. <laughs> You're like just waiting. When is and the that one was it. time right. I want to go with this? But what do you think that experience was like? Because the quality by our standards was awful, but you got to hear something back that was just recorded for the first time. And, you, and I imagine knowing that you could only do it once made it extra special. I right? love that thought of that question and that thought because I've thought about that with other stuff. If you were, like, were a time traveler and before these things and you saw... Mm. A car, a television, uh, uh, what you're talking about. Oh, now you move up to now where we have everything. Everything. Right, it's right. all a matter of perspective because looking back on the phonograph, you're like, that's the dumbest thing. You can only listen to it once and it <laughs> right, didn't listen right. good. Like, why would I? If you were like generations before that, I literally think you'd fall over. You'd be like, this is the most amazing. Yes. Like, I can't get my mind around it. And, you know, I would think the same for a television. Like, I still, I mean, I'm not very old, but even now mm-hmm. at 42, I have a car where I can listen to like podcasts. And the first time I figured that out, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, your just mind is blown by things. And sometimes technology is moving so fast now yes. that you can lose just the, the amazement of where we're at. But I remember the Walkman must have been such a huge deal 40 years ago. The oh, first person, and you're like, Wait, I can listen to stuff whenever I want while I'm walking. It had to be crazy, but from our perspective now, you're like a walk, walk man, man, right? Why don't you play your Nintendo too right, or your right. Atari? Like it's a buck fifty at a garage yeah, sale right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, says soon after Edison rival Alexander Graham Bell, maybe you've heard of him, yep. seemed to perfect the phonograph when he uh, patented the graphophone in 1886 using Edison's technology, but substituting a wax cylinder which could be played many times. Uh, and then invented by Emil Berliner in 1888, the graph- uh, gramophone was the first device to record on flat disks and could be duplicated like waffles from a waffle iron, according to the New York Times. At first, the records were made of glass. The invention of the record would establish itself as one of the main ways to listen to and record music for decades to come, which, again, is interesting that, yeah. like, in a couple of years, there's all these changes. And then you have the re- you have, you have the record as we understand it. Yep. As uh, remaining pretty similar technologically speaking, which mm-hmm. is interesting because I'm wondering, like, w- will our current methodology look even remotely same 10 years, yeah. 15, 20 years from now? I imagine it I, won't. I, everything changes. Like, it seems like every, in, in terms of months, not even years now. So I would I would guess it's not. Yeah, maybe maybe not. 
By the 1940s, the most popular way to listen to music, uh, the news, or even hear presidential debates live was through the radio. Oh, here yeah, we are. Here the we radio. Are. Way to go. This you and I a- are on the cutting edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us. Groundbreaking. <laughs> this was the decade where the talk show soared. Then in the 1950s, jukeboxes were everywhere. At its highest point, there are more than 700,000 across America. I didn't. I had no, no idea. No idea. 700,000 jukeboxes? All in diners in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Jersey thing? <laughs> oh, you've got individual jukeboxes in each booth. When I was oh, that's up. right. It's crazy. How quickly I forgot that that was even yep. a thing. Uh, while radio was still in its height of popularity, the record was inching towards domination. Uh, records that were once made of materials like glass and wax who became easier to manufacture using vinyl plastic, which effectively turned the act of listening to music into more of a private hobby rather than a social or familial event, which has all sorts of social yes. implications, yes. right? When we used to act, you know, gather together, now it's go listen to it privately, which is yep. even more so now, right? Then we have the 8-track, and then we have a 1981. The 8-track. The, the New York Times wrote that the cassette player was the most eagerly wished for of all gifts. The device allowed people to not only listen to recorded music, but easily make their own recordings, too. This yes. gave birth to the mixtape era in which people could record songs they heard on the radio. Uh, I mean, do you remember the thrill <laughs> of a mixtape? You might be a Holy, little too... No, no, no. I totally do. Totally do. Uh, and like, you know... Like if you made a mixtape for that girl or that girl made a mixtape for you, that might as well have been an engagement ring. (laughs) I mean, that was like... My heart's a flutter just thinking about it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And you save them? Oh, absolutely. Did you have a boombox, by the way? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Did you ever carry it over your shoulder? You never did that. (laughs) But no, those... It's so true what they say. Like the greatest gift I can remember getting is like... The, the the Walkman or the Discman or right. the stair like like you said the boombox for your room like that was that was it man right well and it's interesting too because it wasn't until 1983 that the cassette finally began to outsell vinyl records mm. which records have made a massive comeback yes. I don't think people are selling cassettes hardly at all now but so. all these I mean a lot of bands I listen to now are pressing back on vinyl which I find so fascinating like will we see a rise again of the cassette I don't think so because people love the there's like uh, they just love the record for what it meant back in the day. I don't think the te- I don't think the tape means the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Either way, that was fun. Times they are a changing, and I think to think about how technology is shaping us even right now is like always an interesting topic to kind yeah. of keep at the forefront. Well, never a dull moment here on the Common Good. My name is Ian, along with Brian. Stick around. We got a whole lot coming up for you in the second hour here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you choose to get your podcasts, unless you're doing some like weird back alley podcasting. I like think we're the, there still. Are we? Like, yeah, I think we're like in the, the back alley. The deep recesses of Reddit yeah, somewhere, yeah, there's the yeah. Common Good. Like there's the dark web. The dark I think web. You can find us on there too. <laughs> <laughs> Only they've somehow edited all of our conclusions to be really dark. And they're all done at half speed like we were discussing earlier. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if somebody wants to edit something like that together and send it to us, I'd, uh, pl- I'd play that on the air. I had the weirdest thought over the weekend. And <laughs> oh no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just... 
uh, toss it your way. Sure. I feel like we need to come up with a name for people who listen to our show. No, like, that's a terrible idea. I, I got some ideas, but we'll uh, talk about them let's, later. Let's hear, no, just, we'll, let's, we'll can I just hear one of them? Let me just, I haven't heard any of these, by the way. What's one of your ideas about what we should call the people that listen to the show? Uh, how about we call them goodies? Okay, see, this conversation's <laughs> over. Nope. Can you imagine no. coming out of a, we welcome back, goodies? No, 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 no. This is such a terrible idea. I think it's a good idea. We call them good and plenties. We call them good. <laughs> no. There's ways we can go with this. Uh, yeah, uh, none of them good. <laughs> All right, so uh, so full disclosure, the article I'm going to reference here is from a financial planner. His name is Alec Riddle. So his perspective is certainly biased towards his profession, but I'm going to I'm going to actually read the very last thing he writes and uh, get some of your thoughts because the article is is pretty interesting as someone that uh, doesn't think about this nearly enough. He says, in a nutshell, by putting in 10 more hard years after the age of 55, you could potentially forfeit 20 years of your retirement. We're saying it differently. For every year you work beyond the age of 55, on average, one forfeits two years of lifespan. (laughs) What do you think of that? Yeah, he's saying, you know, like you said, it's a little self-serving because he wants people to be saving for retirement. But there's he is saying that this is coming from data from actuaries and people working in the insurance business. Uh, it's startling basically saying that if you work kind of full time, hard years, like with no slowdown after the age of 55, they say uh, they are finding statistics are showing that it is uh, it is quickly accelerating. So even the title of the article says this retire at 55 and live to 80 work till you're 65 and die at 67. Startling new data shows how work pounds older bodies. Hmm. And I totally get this, but my my thing, whenever we read one of these things on retirement, I'm like, how do people save enough to retire? <laughs> <laughs> Can someone please Since tell us? Pastor, right? <laughs> right. Like it's, but this is startling. And, you know, you and I have talked often on this show about like, I don't think the goal of the Christ followers should be retirement, right? Hmm. It shouldn't be uh putting your feet up and kind of just enjoying life and, and like not having a mission or, a, or a calling. Uh, but it, you know, uh, articles like this do say, but maybe on the flip side, uh, you know, 50 hour weeks kind of, kind of nose to the grindstone punch in the clock after a certain age just might not be good for you. Well, I thought it was interesting too, because he's, he's referencing uh, Ford motor company uh, and bell labs. So my, uh, my first thought also Boeing. So it's talking about like, I assume more, uh, more physical work. Right? So I'm like, okay, so. so my, so going into it initially, I thought that's what I thought is speaking specifically to some of the wear and tear that physical work has on older bodies. Um, but that's not all he's talking about though. He's saying, it says another startling statistic from the same uh, corporations is that those who retire earlier, say age 55, tend to enjoy the retirement on average for more than 25 years. The chances uh, are that those able to retire earlier have less stress, mm. have planned to manage their lives better with respect to finances, health and career and are able to retire comfortably. So it isn't just about like the physical strain of, uh, you know, like labor work, but just this because I thought in general, like, man, I would love to still be preaching, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe write a book or something eventually like that that to me doesn't feel like you're like, 40 of the common good <laughs> <laughs> like, what's up goodies what's up goodie oh we lost another goodie uh, we lost another goodie yikes that got dark lost another goodie Yeesh. it is a holiday week isn't it it is but like what do you think of that idea though that like man plan earlier to 
like I, I see what you're saying about the retirement piece, and yep. some of that's from you know Piper's right. uh, philosophy of thinking about like we're always on mission. I think we always should be absolutely. Yep. Um, but is there like I, I'll just say this: like I've had like a neck pain thing yeah. for like going on seven and a half years or whatever at this point. Like it, that was an exaggeration, but like I'm but a ter- you've had one for a while, right? Here, and I'm a terrible patient, and I yeah. don't go and get things checked out when I should or when I need to, and uh, <laughs> it's just I'm annoying to me. Yeah, but like, is there something to be said about like, yeah, it's worth actually paying attention to. You're getting older, and the the stress of a job has uh, invisible effects that maybe you're not yeah. able to see. That like choosing to retire earlier. Maybe even living more meagerly uh, could actually extend your lifespan significantly. Is there value in thinking about that, or is it like, are, are we too blue collar middle America to to really recognize the merits of this article? Yeah, I think this has everything to do with stress, and it talks really? about this in this article. I don't think this has to do with like uh, only people who are working, you know, the, the factory lines and and working long. Like, I think this is everything to do about stress. And he touches on that in the article. And I do think there's huge merit to that. Like, uh, regardless of your job, stress is, uh, is not good for you. And man, I've shared the story before, but like, I was telling my wife, uh, yesterday, I said, uh, she laughed at me because I was like, do you want to hear something? Like she, she thought I was about to tell her some really bad news. And I go, I go a year ago today, I started sabbatical. And I was like longing, like, oh, oh wow. And so as a reminder, sabbatical, I was off for two months. And honestly, the greatest thing about sabbatical besides family time and travel was that I tend to wake up stressed. And do after, you really? I, I didn't do. know this. I really do. Like and, heart pounding, like, yeah. okay, I got to. And it's kind of a new thing in my life. Huh. And uh, and after about two weeks of sabbatical, that was gone. Like, and, and like there were physiological effects in my body and in my mind from disconnecting. No kidding. That I do think that there's always this low lying stress when you're working and you're not sure, you know, if you're going to be able to retire or whatever else that does have an effect on your overall well being. And so I do think this has everything to do with stress. And it's not like quit working in the mines at 55, you know, like I think this is. Uh, this is that pressure, this inability to disconnect that I do think plagues all of us on some level. It's actually interesting to me too, that like everything you're saying is articulated in a number of different ways in scripture. Yes. This idea that scientists are discovering and psychologists are revealing and all the, all these things that come out like, Hey, like paying attention to these things, not just in terms of stress, but also in terms of gratitude and rhythms and Sabbath like there's there's real physiological, neurological health benefits. And I mean, he does go on to say, don't switch off and be idle when you retire. You can still do things yes. that are of interest to you. You can get involved in things that are of value to community uh, all at a pace that you feel comfortable with. So he's not advocating for yep. like retire and disappear. He's saying, no, it's important to still be involved. I would translate that as still be on mission. Yeah. Right? And this I is- would say that we, there are probably studies that you and I have even looked at that say when you completely disconnect and shut down your life, I think your body also shuts down. It like takes the cue like, Oh, so we're done here. Okay, great. So I think there's, yeah, I think there's value in like, however you approach that, you know, but like I have mentors and friends that are in their seventies and eighties still going strong. And in some ways I look at that and go, I mean, I want to be doing that too though. And maybe there's a dark underbelly to that. The fact that that's attractive to me in general, Mm -hmm. like I want to still like a lot of that's tied to identity. Isn't it? Isn't that the reason we don't, like unplug and I step back because so. like oh, I want to 
part of my self-importance is found in like what I'm able to create or what I'm able to produce. And I think yeah, is in comparison, like, yeah, oh, I, gotta all keep that. Going. I think it's all, it's all the big stew that causes us some good anxiety and stress. So how do we do this? Well, like before we turn 55 or 60 or 65, like what, what's some advice that you would give now looking back a year from your sabbatical, yep. are there things that you've learned in the rear view of doing that? I absolutely. And it's interesting for, especially for you and I to think about this because we've added this whole other element to both of our lives this year mm. that quite frankly is somewhat stressful. And, um, but I do think the concept of Sabbath, uh, and you talk about this often is like this weekly rhythm of disconnecting. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's half the battle at least. Like, I think that's the big one. Like, do you, are you getting off that hamster wheel at all on a regular basis? Right. Enjoying time with your family, going out with your spouse, going for a walk, doing whatever it is that recharges you yep. and not waiting till there's a medical emergency or you can retire. But like, right. what does that rhythm look like? Yeah. And that rhythm, I think that word rhythm is better than balance. I think balance actually can sometimes create more stress because if everything's, if anything's ever out of balance, we freak out. Rhythm is knowing that like, all right, this week's going to be a hard week, but I'm also going to be intentional. Then look a week or two down the road and I'm going to take intentional time to myself, to my family, to reflect, to be in scripture, to pause, to meditate, all that stuff. I think it comes down to intentionality. I think that's what this article is about. I think that's what you're saying, which I think, man, always, always, always a good reminder. All right, coming up next, an article out of Gravity Leadership. I love this headline. It says, why life on mission must be more than service projects. Mm. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us. You know what? You, you know where to find us. I'm not. I'm not I, yeah, they do. They can listen elsewhere. Um, <laughs> in the show, I mean, not elsewhere, like in a different. Go <laughs> listen to a different show, people. <laughs> Find it. Man, oh man, I am off my game today. <laughs> it's holiday week. Is that what it is? I think so. It's got holiday brain. Fireworks in your head. You're ready to Fireworks go. Fireworks in my head. That is never a truer description <laughs> of what's going on in my head has ever been said. Maybe that's why I like 4th of July so much. I just identify with things exploding because that's how my brain feels right now. All right. So uh, the article says why life on mission must be more than service projects, which mm. when I gave you the article, you like open it up. And you're like, but I like service projects, <laughs> I'm pretty, which, which I'm I pro. do, too. So I, I think this will be an interesting discussion because uh, I don't know that we'll agree with everything in this article. But there's pieces of this that I've been feeling for a long time mm-hmm. and haven't quite had the words to articulate. So let me set it up just by reading some of it, because I think the backstory is important. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty, as the folks say. Uh, all right. So it's out of gravity leadership. It says, when I first started trying to live on mission, which is a phrase you and I both use a lot. I think we used it last segment. I think we did actually. Uh, I don't know what the heck I was doing. All I knew was that my imagination had been captured by a bigger vision for what life, faith and ministry could be. I wanted to lean into it, but it took a while to dislodge the old paradigms that kept rearing their heads. Quite a few times I would walk toward what looked like an open door, but mm. broke my nose running into the glass. My wife and I were planting a church at the time full of new thoughts and idealism. We started a missional church. We were going to do things differently. I had absorbed new thinking about mission and discipleship. I was steeped in Willard, Wright, Hirsch, (laughs) Guter. My preaching had changed. Our church had become more rooted historically and liturgically. All good things. Necessary changes. Everyone. 
the problem was that there was a lack of connection between the quote in here of our church and the quote out there of our engagement with our neighbors. Um, my new missional preaching wasn't resulting in missional living. Telling people how to live on mission wasn't producing people who knew how to live on mission. Slowly, mm. con- the conviction came to us that people would never really uh, learn to live on mission until they had an example to imitate. That's when we realized that not much had really changed in the way that we were engaging with our neighbors and friends. I realized I just didn't know how to take the first steps. My own sermons weren't enough for even me to live on mission. So we started with something concrete, something we could measure, something that seemed pretty missional, service projects. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to talk about like how their service projects looked, probably not dissimilar from things that we've done, raking leaves, cleaning up parks. But we started noticing something disturbing. Now that we had a scheduled event on the calendar every month, quote, life on mission had become just another item on the to-do list. None of those events were necessarily bad things for us to do, but we noticed we had started thinking about Life on mission in the same category as mowing the lawn or picking up takeout for dinner. Life on mission had become an item to check off the list, an event to attend. And once it was off the list, we just never really thought about it until it was time to plan the next event. It wasn't really life on mission. It was events of mission. Mm. What do you think of that so far? I'd love to know how that hits you. Uh, it's convicting, man. Like we started a couple years ago at our church talking a lot more about living missionally and using the wordage. And I just, I realized the same thing. Like I wasn't. Just because you preach it and just because, uh, quite frankly, I learned that I wasn't modeling it well. And that's Mm. what became difficult. And so what I was doing was preaching things and telling people what they should be doing without a lot of like um, a lot of good tools. Again, tools for people to be like, yes, let me take this first step. So I was like, you know, we did the the Art of Neighboring book, which is a phenomenal book. If you've never read Art of Neighboring, go read Art of Neighboring. It's great. But. It was, it really came across as, hey, go get to know your neighbor. And like, that wasn't helpful. <laughs> yeah. It no was kidding. convicting. Right. But it wasn't helpful. And so I do like, uh, and those fall back on, I, I think service projects, another way to put it is programming, you know, just your mission. And that there's good things about it. You know, we send mission trips. I've taken my family on mission trips. We've done these things, but oftentimes those do more to make us feel good than other things. So, which isn't insignificant. I think I think seeing that can actually really open your brain to really important things. Absolutely, right. My kids. We did a a mission trip with other families in our church a couple years ago with our families to Costa Mm. Rica to some really poor spots. It was transformative for my kids at that level, right? Uh, And I would do it again in a heartbeat. But uh, but I do think what they're saying is like. If you truly want to, and we love the phrase, we use, like we said, we used it last segment, live on mission. As pastors, we need to be helping our people with some very concrete ways of what that looks like. And yes. also, I think we need to be open to the messiness of it, that it's not like, totally. hey, we're going to live on mission from nine to noon on the third Saturday of the month. But instead, and those aren't mm-hmm. bad, go do feed my starving children. Go yes. do, that's all yes. part of the stew. Uh, but also, it's just messy caring about your neighbors and your family and your friends and loving them and being Jesus in their life. And well, that, and this and this gets there. Gets this, there. Yeah. yeah, this gets and this is what it. This is where it kind of rounds the turn. It says. Yep. The service projects can easily become a way for us to relieve our missional anxiety Mm -hmm. rather than a true doorway into missional life. You can see the same kind of thing with charitable giving. Instead of really seeking to bring holistic flourishing to people, doing the hard work of discovering what will actually help, it's easy to just send some money somewhere to relieve your anxiety about being more well-off than others, which, Mm -hmm. again, is a good thing. Like, cut checks. Some of you listening... Like God has equipped you to make a ton of money. Absolutely. Like use that for the glory of God. I'm so just to be clear 
Uh, and should I say, I'm not necessarily saying we should immediately halt all service projects. I'm saying we need to ask what these service projects are really doing for us, relieving anxiety or moving us into mission. So eventually we turned a corner in our church plant. We moved from identifying life on mission with service projects to something more holistic and all-encompassing. So I want to spend the last four minutes kind of talking about what they found to be sort of a helpful shift. And maybe for us, it's a way of thinking about like a both and. Yeah. Because like what you were saying, a service project for your kid was like a light bulb moment. It's great. And they weren't ready actually for this full holistic life on mission thing. They actually needed like a baby step to that, Mm -hmm. which is important, right? In all aspects of like growth and development, the baby step is important, but it can't. I just don't think it can be the only step. So here's what this author suggests. Number one, name the problem. First, we simply recognized and named the problem with our service projects. We own the fact that our monthly service projects had become a way for us to relieve our missional anxiety and, quote, prove that we were a, quote, real missional church. We talked about this with our leaders and mentioned it to those who were coaching and mentoring us. One of the most important things a leader can do is to name the reality. Don't be afraid to talk about what's not working, even if you don't know what the solution is. What do you think of that? I think it's great, man. Like owning this it, whole, just yeah, naming this it. whole missional church thing too. If, uh, and, and this might be a little inside baseball as pastors, but sometimes it's used as like a weapon. Like you're, you're not doing church, right? Like it's right. There's more to it than that. It, it is right. just own what you're doing. Well, own like, like how you're going to get there. And yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. Number two, look for a person of peace after naming the problem, praying about it and discussed it with others. We realized that we needed to learn how to pay closer attention to what God was already doing. Uh, how look for a person to peace. So instead of planning a different service project each month, we decided to focus on consistent presence in one place. And instead of just planning and executing our monthly event, we started cultivating relationships and looking for people of peace because this is an indication of where God is already at work. Yep. What do you think of that? Easier said than done. Maybe easier said than done, but, (laughs) but it is like when we were talking about neighboring and other things in our church, if I could go back and do it again, I would just tell people stories in the church who are already doing it well. Yeah. Instead of coming across as, hey, we're all bad at this. Let's all start doing better. Maybe I'm just bad at it. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And instead, because I think it left this mixed message for people going, I feel like I already do this, but I feel like he's telling me I'm not. Totally, totally. (laughs) Now, this last one I think is maybe the most important. Follow the grace. Finally, once we recognize where God is at work, we follow the grace. Mission isn't doing stuff for God. It's joining God in his work. Yes. I think that's such an important distinction. So when we notice something he's doing, we focus resources and energy into it. We call that following the grace for a while we had several people of peace at the homeless shelter families we could see regularly that we developed relationships with people of peace however because of the transient nature of the shelter eventually all of our people of peace moved on into transitional housing and we lost touch with them i remember facilitating a game night where we realized almost everyone there was new to us and nobody was all that interested in developing a relationship no more people of peace so what now so they kind of end talking about this grace in the new space they said in the meantime some of our leaders had started to host a weekly informal drop-in meal and so we followed that grace. We we dropped our monthly service project and started focusing resources and energy mm. into the neighborhood. Specifically, we focused on this family of peace. Yeah. I'd love to know, like, at Four Corners, like, how does that hit you? Like, when you think about your actual neighborhood and community. Uh, it hit, I love that term of grace. Like, just, yeah. uh, you keep hearing me say it over and over again. Like, w- this doesn't need to be a, something we beat each other up about. But, like, let's grow and point people to the gospel and, and mission coming out of that. Uh, I, I don't know what it looks like at our church, man. We do the service projects, but also, uh, I think something that I would like to see us do better is to highlight those who are doing a good job and just celebrate instead. Like we always have that, that, um, 
the choice of like condemning and like pointing at people or celebrating right. what's going on. And I, that's what I appreciate about this article is like, do a better job celebrating what's going on. And, and that will create a movement of people going, totally. oh, I can do that right totally. there. And the idea of life on mission isn't this like adding one more thing to a busy schedule. It's yeah. seeing all of life as mission. Absolutely. It's asking God, where are you? Where are you already at work in my community? It's it's recognizing the kingdom of God is now that it's here and and learning to pay attention, which, you know, we talked about this in other segments. Paying attention sometimes requires being quiet. Yes. Hitting pause. Like, how do I actually listen to the needs of the community and the families that are in my vicinity? And I think when we do that, man, I think, I don't know, it does become a whole lot less about doing stuff for God. Yes. And like instead joining God in his work and ministry in the world, which I think is, is just so powerful. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, it's Monday, which for preachers can be a real weird day. But Brian and I are going to talk about what did you preach Yesterday, one of us did not preach, so this will be an extra fun segment here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name, you want to guess? Ian Simpkins. <laughs> that laugh? Brian Fromm. Oh, I see. I, did that. Just, <laughs> I didn't really do anything. Then. I don't I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. Ah, I regret it immediately. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com plus wherever it is that you get your podcast. And I just feel inclined to say it again. If you are a subscriber, thank you. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for reviewing. Thanks for commenting. Thanks for being a part of this whole conversation because uh, I don't know. I just felt really encouraged this last week and a number of people saying things like, Man, these are these are topics uh, and conversations that I've I've really felt conflicted about, and hearing you guys kind of unpack it gave me some yeah. hope. And sometimes it's not even about coming to a conclusion necessarily, but uh, I love that people are engaging in whatever way they want to because I, I I don't know that's that's half the fun for me. It is, it is, and and just to be able to you know I think you and I are increasingly feeling a freedom to say I'm not sure what I think about this, but yeah. we're going to talk about it anyway. I think. That allows people to step in and go, I don't know what I think about that either. And- I, right. I think people are feeling freedom to actually admit like, oh, phew, I don't know about this either. And I was starting to feel like if I don't have a black and white answer to this, am I a real Christian? Right. Am I a real Republican or Democrat? Am I a real, you know, like yeah. even just providing some space to say, yeah, it's OK. It's OK right yep. now to not know. And I think to not shy away from that, but keep leaning in. All right, so it's Monday, and Brian and I are both pastors, as I'm sure we've told you numerous times. A couple times. Ad nauseum. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we like talking about, which I don't know if anyone else likes hearing about, but we like talking about is, you know, it's Monday, it's still kind of fresh in our minds, and uh, we call it, have we named this segment anything specifically? Media Monday. No, oh, okay. <laughs> right now it's, what did you preach yesterday? Monday. Which, <laughs> Monday. <laughs> which just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? We need like a cooler... Yeah, maybe we don't. Maybe we've outplayed our cool card. Um, what did you did you you did preach yesterday? Though, I right? did. Yes, I'd love to know because I didn't, and I'll tell you what we talked about. But yeah. I'd love to know what you preached about and what stood out to you. Yeah, my- week four, so the last week uh, of the twenty third Psalm. So we were walking through twenty third Psalm. So yesterday was literally just uh, verse six. Uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. And uh, and so. Uh, basically I tried to again say that kind of behind this Psalm a little bit is the fact that this world is a scary place. There's going to be trouble. Um, And the fact that that's a reality I think is freeing for us because, Mm. you know, a lot of times we go through trouble. Like what am I doing wrong? Christians aren't supposed to have trouble. So I talked about fear and trouble and hardship uh, that the promise is never to take you out of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I talked about, for me, verse 6 tends to wrap up this whole psalm uh, in kind of a bow to say, in this one verse, you can see a little bit of how am I to to go about this scary world at times? Mm. How do I enter in? And so I talked about how the first half of the verse deals with our present, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mm. Uh, and I kind of hung on the word surely and will. Like, those are definitive. And I told this story about, like, when my kids will ask me, can we do this? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and, like, that means nothing. Right. right. Like That's if, a non-answer. If right. the psalm had said, hopefully, goodness and mercy might follow you all, that you'd be like, mm, okay, that doesn't do much for me. But, but surely it surely will. Surely it will. Mm. And I talked about goodness and mercy. And that deals with our present. Like, when you're in the pit. I know that, and that this word for follow in the Hebrew is, is like pursue. It's mm. like he's coming after you with his goodness and mercy. I love that. And then the second part deals more with our future, right? I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Talked about uh, just the presence of God and that ultimately the things that we're scared of and the hardships of this world are not ultimate. They do not win thanks to, you know, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so mm. I didn't talk about so much about heaven. Like, what is that? But like the fact that, you know what? The things that are most fearful about this world are legitimately fearful, hmm. but they're not ultimate. And so was able to talk about the fact that the good news that David can say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like there, there's this perspective. And so talked about the first half, um, kind of uh, the, the good news of it. And then the perspective of the second half, I thought I, I love the 23rd Psalm and I, I love song. walking through it. Uh, and it was a sweet time. And then we did what we do once a year at our church. We had a little, uh, but we had a barbecue out in the church parking lot. Oh, no and, kidding. Uh, yeah, it's really fun. Just, uh, it's just this thing we've started doing the last couple of years. And it was hot yesterday <laughs> on that, on that parking lot, but a lot of fun. Have some hot dogs, put up tents, people sit, some people leave or they stay for a short time, but we got the fire truck came and he shot all the kids with water and then. We had this reptile guy come. It was really fun. It <laughs> you was... had a reptile? You just snuck that in there? Yeah. No, this guy in our church was like, he, <laughs> this this generous guy in the church called me. He's like, listen, there's this this reptile, uh, this guy who brings like exotic reptiles to birthday parties. <laughs> and I looked him up to make sure it wasn't shady. And this guy was right. like, I think he might be out of Naperville. No, no Woodridge. Woodridge, maybe. This guy's like a big deal, like birthday party circuit, apparently. No way. And so he came and the kids loved it. This huge snake, this other snake, this big <laughs> turtle, like taking pictures. It was really cool. Oh, and so, it sounds like a blast, man. It was fun. It was fun. It was a tiring day, you know, yeah. like when you're in the middle of setting up those barbecues, I feel like, why are we doing this again? But, yes. Uh, so a good day, a good day. I know you didn't preach, but it sounded like a really interesting topic at your church and the way you went about it. Uh, interested to hear about it. Yeah. Last, last couple of years, we've had this uh, three part video series that we've recorded ahead of time called conversations. So they're mm-hmm. not all three next to each other. There are three different uh, weekends throughout the summer and uh, we're tackling this year, immigration, mass incarceration. And the next topic is going to be mental health. Wow. And so uh, Dave Ferguson, our lead pastor will, um, we find an expert in the field and we just have a conversation with him for, 25 minutes and then we it's it's awesome because a lot of them often have written books so then out of that talk then we'll launch a bunch of book studies and small groups and we make a lot of you know yeah questions and resources available so so yesterday uh, dominic gilliard who wrote uh, rethinking incarceration uh, let me just read you his title by the way he is, <laughs> he's the director of racial righteousness and reconciliation for the evangelical covenant church so he's not only that but he's racial also righteousness right That's pretty cool. <laughs> that what a killer name yeah. but he's also a, a pastor and an author and uh huffington post named him one of the black christian leaders changing the world so like 
he's a voice to be listened to in general. And the 25 minute video is available on the website right now, communitychristian.org, if you want to see it. Um, but he he talked, I mean, a lot about his kind of his own experience with this conversation, which and I was really grateful because, you know, in a lot of ways, Dave just sort of owned like, all right, well, I'm a, I'm a white evangelical. Yeah. Uh, you're a black evangelical. Like there's just differences between how we're perceived sure. and how we'd be prosecuted if we were caught, you know, with the exact same offense. And it, it was I had more people saying these are conversations and topics I've never given any thought to yeah, at I all. So. And it was and again, like I, you can go on the website right now if you want to see the video. And there's also a, a, a big idea study guide that our small groups team puts together. So awesome. there's all sorts of resources and, and passages and additional links and you can get the book. And like I it by and large was just like I think it really uh, it was just a powerful Sunday. Probably my favorite part from the day, though. And I've mentioned this briefly before. Oh, we've actually had Amy and Eric on the show. Yeah, so I, this guy. I saw a picture on Facebook. That's right. Yeah. So we're launching uh, Community Freedom. And uh, we've been for the last year having conversations with prisons and wardens. In fact, a year ago, we partnered with East Lake Church in San Diego to plant a church in uh, a prison there in, in uh, Donovan and Donovan Correctional Facility. In fact, uh, four inmates and one volunteer have already been baptized. Oh, my gosh. As a result of that church. There, we're hoping by the fall to be planting a church uh, in Joliet, which wow. would be celebration services every week and small groups. Uh, if you're listening, actually, and you want to get involved, you can go to yeah. communitychristian.org slash Community freedom. That's communitychristian.org slash community freedom. And you can be a part of the team. You can, you can give financially. Like I, I just am really proud of a team that's thinking through how do we actually care for people who, like Lewis Dooley, you know, a couple of weeks ago was yep. saying was they're at the end of the rope. Yep. A lot of these men and women are like, I, I have nowhere else to turn and to actually like plant churches to, you know, and, and Dominic spoke to this a lot. Like, how do we help? restore the sacred Imago day yeah. in the hearts of men and women who are feeling um, anything but right. Yeah. They're, they're feeling like the bottom has dropped out for them and it's been remarkable. And we partnered with new thing, which is our church planning network, but also alpha already has uh, a relationship with hundreds of prisons in the United States. Wow, I so it's, it's sort of this like hybrid relationship that I think, I think two years from now is going to blow our minds. I think, I think God's already doing things in the midst there. That's, That's remarkable. So cool. So I'm just curious uh, when you guys plant a church in, like, say, Joliet, is, yeah. there, is a pastor an inmate? Is he from in there? How's that going to work? I know we don't have a ton of time. But. Yeah, there's a lot of – so, like, Eric Dorsey is overseeing it, actually. Uh, yeah. His his background is really unique because he has church experience and prison experience. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of that will be um, – To be figured will, out. Will, will be in-house uh, type of facilitation. It's but crazy. it's services and small groups and – It's called thinking outside the box, man. That's yeah, really no cool. kidding. I'm really, really proud of our church in that regard, man. I, my hope is, too, that it'll uh, it'll minister to people yep. in, a, in a really powerful week. In a, Powerful way. So, uh, the way that we wrap the show up, if you're just joining us, <laughs> is a little bit of insanity, a little bit of interweb insanity. The goodies love it. The good. Oh golly, <laughs> it's this is going to end up sticking, isn't it? I'm trying. Ah, my goodness. Either way, Keith Conrad, our executive producer, found these stories. We have not read them, seen them, or heard the sound effects. That's what's coming up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. <laughs> All right, so it's the part of the show where we uh, dive into some interweb insanity. But here, okay, full disclosure, like we're also kind of in a hurry today. <laughs> so Brian and I are going to try to eat 
while we do this segment. And uh, so the crunching you're hearing is not a sound effect. It's the it's the real deal. So uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, these stories we have not read, have not seen, have not even heard a whisper or a rumor of. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Our executive producer, Keith Conrad, selects them for us, selects the sound effects. We have no idea what they are. So while one person is reading their story, the other person is going to be eating because we're legitimately <laughs> in a really big hurry and I'm hungry. So why don't you go first? Missouri, <laughs> a Kansas City man is celebrating a pothole's three-month birthday. <laughs> this is funny. In hopes of bringing about faster repairs. Oh, gosh. Uh, three months after Frank Serino called uh, Kansas City's 311 center to report a pothole, the bump in the road remains. Rather than getting mad, though, he decided to celebrate throwing the pothole a birthday party. I thought what we could do is have a little fun. Kansas City Public Works Department said the pothole Serrano reported is on its list for repairs. A spokesperson told uh, local reporters work or told local reporters that workers were in that area Friday and said if the work isn't done by Friday night, of course the repairs will be done on Saturday. Green said that since the beginning of 2019, Kansas City's 311 center received around 15,000 reports of potholes. Uh, if it's like the Chicagoland, I have driven over every single one of them. Well, there's so many holes in First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. <laughs> All right, Texas, your home state. Not. It's not? Jim Minardi's, I think. Oh, boy. <laughs> there, there it is. Jim Minardi. Uh, woman banned from Walmart after eating half a cake, demanding to pay half price. <laughs> <laughs> this woman is winning at life. A Texas woman was banned from her local Walmart after police say she ate half a cake and refused to pay for the missing portion. Wichita Falls police. The fact that the police were called at all. Yep. <sighs> Called to a uh, were, were called to a Walmart just after 8 p.m. Tuesday after receiving calls that a woman walked around the store uh, eating half of a cake and refusing to pay for the whole item. Department spokes uh, spokes <laughs> that sound you're hearing is <laughs> Brian from opening his panini. The suspect, the spuspest, jeez, oh, who has not been identified, entered the bakery section of the store and proceeded to eat half of a cake while walking through the aisles. Uh, once at the register, the woman demanded half off because she was only buying half a cake. Police say she refused to pay for the missing half of the cake despite eating it on her way to the checkout. Did these sound like the actions of a man who had all he could eat? <laughs> Florida. Hamburglar arrested for robbing a Florida Wendy's after he made himself dinner. Uh-huh. Florida police have arrested a thief nicknamed the Hamburglar, who allegedly broke into two restaurants, made himself a meal, and then robbed the establishment. Patrick Benson, 34, allegedly broke into this Wendy's where he grilled and ate a burger before stealing the restaurant's safe. The sheriff's office said Benson also burglarized another local restaurant and attempted to rob a gas station but couldn't get inside. A suspect coined as the modern-day Hamburglar doesn't appear to have any problem making himself right at home after breaking into the food establishments to make himself a burger. (laughs) Officials say Benson used a brick or large rock to break the restaurant's windows and get inside. Security footage shows the thief working his way around the restaurants after hours and selecting the items he wanted to steal. The snack-and-pack burglar left behind hundreds of dollars in damage, according to the release. Hey, where's the thief? Oh, the old where's the beef. Okay, that drop wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. And I have chili burning in my mouth right now. Uh, Ohio, which is also a greeting. Woman who... 
woman who tripped on collapsed wet floor sign at casino awarded $3 million no. by jury. A woman who... Fe- you say, oh, before I even finish. <laughs> People don't know. They haven't heard the conclusion of the title yet. Mm. A woman who fell by a collapsed wet floor sign at Jack Casino was awarded $3 million this past week by a Hamilton County, Ohio jury. Linda Sadowski... She walked toward the sign, which lay flat on the floor. In September 2016, customers had knocked it over, and Jack uh, and a Jack employee walked around it, but failed to pick it up moments before Sadowski tripped over it, according to her attorney, Matt Nakajima. Mm. Sadowski suffered a broken kneecap. Oh, geez. And metal hardware was placed in her knee. Her mobility has since worsened, and she has arthritis at the fracture site. The casino has no safety policies in place for floor inspection or fall prevention and had no criticism of the employee's failure to pick up the trip hazard, even though its own internal document found her at fault. I'm falling and I can't get up. I think they paid her off in uh, chips, like in uh, okay. from the casino. <laughs> Speaking of chips, how are your chips the doing? last one. I moved on to the pickle. <laughs> Illinois, our home state. Here we go. Fisherman reels in trout with cursed wedding ring in Lake Michigan. An Illinois man fishing in Lake Michigan found something unusual about the steelhead trout he reeled in. It was wearing a cursed wedding ring. He said he was fishing with friends north of Waukegan on Friday morning when he reeled in a trout that had a wedding ring zip-tied around its tail. Oh, gosh. Immediately, we thought, we, uh, who would do that? I thought either a divorcee or someone who died, and it was their last wish or something like this. News of the catch started going around. Uh, and with the attached the ring to the fish and set it free May the 4th. Rose, a charter boat captain, said he became convinced the ring was bad luck after his divorce. Four years went by since our divorce. I felt like I needed to get rid of that ring, but I didn't want to just toss it to the bottom or pawn it, so I released it the best way I knew how. I attached it to a fish. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> That's a little crazy. What's the craziest part of that story? That he uh, like to get rid of like being cursed from the divorce, <laughs> the bad like mojo of the divorce. He attached it to a fish. Uh, it is so clearly a holiday week, he man. Just attached, I don't... <laughs> he just attached the curse to the fish. All right, well, never a dull moment here on the Common Good. We hope that you'll join us tomorrow from four to six p.m. No or they are. <laughs> sure, wherever it is you get your podcast, listen to us at half the speed to make us sound insane. This has been the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.